interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt Kelly and Tom Fox follow up on our prior podcast around human capital issues. This led to a week-long dialogue between Matt and myself about the current state of employee trust in a troll and corporate compliance program and what it means for compliance and ethics going forward. Some of the issues we touched upon are whether or not trust is down as reported by employees, how certain companies have worked to destroy employee trust, specifically UK, KPMG, with its former chairman telling employees to quit whining, and Benjamin Moore getting rid of not only the corporate legal department, but restricting employees on access to legal assistance. We ask if employees are under more pressure to deliver results now and what that means in the working and home from environment. What about return to work issues? And whether or not whistleblowers fear greater retaliation and will even speak up in this current environment of lessening employee trust. All on this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance. Uh, in addition to being the coolest guy in compliance, Matt has been counseling me on how to stay warm in the cool. So, Matt, tell us about the weather in Boston, and I'll, then I'll relate Houston. Uh, you know, so I feel bad, Tom, that right now it is 42 degrees in Boston, and it has been raining. Which, okay, 42 and rainy is a bit of a drag, but uh, it makes all of the snow that we've had melt away. So it's very pleasant, seasonable day here in Boston, outside wearing a, this sweater here, a bit of a heavy sport coat, and that was all. Um, not to be with it when it was 12 last week, but it isn't 12 degrees here anymore. It's, uh, life is fine for a VR. We're in our second day of a major uh, cold snap, as we would call it, in the South, and it is 18 today, uh, having hit single digits the last two nights, and we've had uh, catastrophic energy failures here in the great state of Texas with the full 30% of the state still without power, some people for now 30 hours uh, with no power. So um, pretty tough on a lot of folks. We at uh, the world headquarters of the Compliance Podcast Network, we were down for about 18 hours yesterday, but... We're up and running and uh, back at it. Um, Matt? The cold does it get when you're out for 18 hours in your house? Oh, I think it got into the uh, low 50s. All right. Maybe. So uh, anyway, uh, Matt, last week we had a really interesting podcast around human capital issues that you had written on, but you were writing on it really from a more of a, I think, a regulatory SEC angle, what the disclosures mm-hmm. what the disclosures were, and then we tried to um, extrapolate from there what that might mean about corporate culture. That led me to start thinking about human capital, and that led to trust, and then we had a dialogue for the rest of the week around trust issues. For me, that was crystallized by the now former chairman of the U, uh, UK's KPMG uh, telling uh, employees to quit whining about the 
coronavirus, hard work and extra pressure, but there were several other uh, similar uh, pieces of nuggets of information that came up. So I thought maybe we could explore uh, some of the other things that we've been talking about and you've been writing about uh, generally related to employee trust. And uh, I think we both, uh, I guess I drew from your blog post about human capital reporting, the latest Edelman report indicating that uh, trust was down, but it, it's not simply management to employee trust, it's employee to employee trust. Could you maybe start with uh, some of the things that uh, you've been writing about and thinking about around employee to employee trust? Well, it's interesting because there aren't a whole lot of good statistics on that particular question. The Edelman Trust Report looked at what are perceptions of trust people have in overall and what are the perceptions you have in your specific year. So that was a mixture there. Uh, Basically, people do put a lot of trust in their own employer, although that down, they scale it from zero to 100. And it drifted down this past year from 76 last year to 72 this year. That's still really good compared to trust people have in other types of institutions. Um, And then people have trust in business overall. That actually ticked some up, but only for last year to 61 this year. So take that for whatever it's worth. We're kind of sort of trusting in business, although they trust their own a lot. Um, but I do think that employee trust in fellow employees is getting specifically because of the pandemic, um, where especially for white collar employees who are generally working from home right now and have been for the better pure, um, you don't get to see them. You lose a lot of opportunities to build trust, either in casual conversation around the water cooler or a chit-chat before a meeting that you now don't have. Uh, um, or you just miss a lot uh, to be able to build trust in fellow employees because a lot of body language isn't happening anymore. Even if you chat with them on iMage or Slack or on whatnot, everything's a bit more things bit more about taking turns and you lose a lot of the that personal subtle body language that I, I think fuels a lot of um, good interpersonal trust employee to employee. I do think that's a big problem. I work about how that um, affect people over the long term. And I saw a great study that was quoted in the Financial Times where remote employees likely to be promoted than in-person employees. If you're at a large organization where some people are meeting in person still and others are not, um, now play that out over the space of several years, the remote employees are going to probably feel a bit alien and left out, and they're going to see that others are getting promoted ahead. And, and nature or a vacuum. If there's not enough trust there because we have these new silted relationships, it's going to fill that back. And it's probably to be suspicion. It's probably going to be assumptions. The assumptions are probably going to be not always correct. Um, what's the scientific analysis of quantified research on that? How could we scale it up broad conclusions? I don't know if we have enough information along those lines. I haven't seen any like it. 
But if I were a compliance officer thinking about culture, which you do, um, you think about it, I would be very worried about how to keep this trust going when the fabric that uh, helps to preserve trust is slowly but surely getting more threadbare, if I can use that metaphor. So, Matt, you looked at that specific issue around employee trust, or at least touched on it, in a couple of different uh, ways. One was around uh, vaccines, vaccinations, returning to work, and then uh, you you also considered the new CDC guidelines on uh, vaccinations and returning to work. I came across a Harvard Business Review article that looked at uh, em- employee productivity uh, and specifically co-workers in uh, the work from home environment that there is now growing discontent among coworkers for employees who they feel may be slacking off or not uh, working as much or as hard at home. Uh, Could you maybe flesh out a little of the things you've come across around the health issues uh, for employee to employee employee, and then maybe uh, go from there into employer to employee? Well, you know, so I have been writing a lot about vaccination policies and um, quarantine policies, and I think it, it, you know, the United States is in an interesting place because we are one of the few countries in the world where an employer can require an employee to be vaccinated as part of theirs of employment. And if you don't get vaccinated, you could pose a safety risk of fellow employees employees, so we're not going to hire you or we're not going to keep you on or something to that. That's rare. It's not the case, say, Europe or the United Kingdom or Canada or I think most other major economies. I am not aware of other major economies where, like, yeah, you know, you have sort of power. But because the company has that power, it raises the interesting question of whether a company should actually force the issue. And I have been on several webinars and have been writing about the lot of compliance officers. Their first instinct is to do not want to club employees with a heavy-handed policy. Um, that really gets to reading a lot of distrust, based some very awkward questions around uh, uh, issues and diversity and inclusion issues that it's no secret. Minorities are much less eager to get that must less trusting of vaccines, and they have very good isn't to be skeptical of it. So, so if you are requiring all employees to get vaccinated, but all of your employees really don't want to do it, is there some sort of discrimination or issue that's going to raise its ugly head? No, but as I often say, I look forward to the fact pattern that lets us think about that, because I suspect at some point people would have a big problem with that. It's not going to look to many other employees who would be happy to get vaccinated. Um, but if you're going to be seen as forcing the issue, I, I don't know a lot of employees would appreciate that. Um, so I, I don't know how much that answers your question or not, but I think employers are in a damned if you do, if you don't position. If they don't require vaccination and an employee does show up to work who isn't vaccinated and gets sick, and causes an outbreak, could you be held liable by other employees sick on the first one who didn't want to get vaccinated? And again, like, yeah, many jurisdictions really could. So it's much more about the correct path, the wisest path, the best 
path is going to be that the error has enough persuasive authority and trust to convince employees that, yes, I should it is a wise thing to do personally, my organization better, everything vaccines can bring a ton of benefit to other people. It's the right thing to do. Let's do it. An employer is going to need to be perceived trustworthy to be able to make that argument. And if you're just now starting to think, how can we be more trustworthy to our employees so we can get them to do this, you're way behind on the curve. I don't know how many employers actually are in that predicament that just now we're thinking, oh, hey, trustworthy, that we should be that. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but I could easily see where a whole lot of uh, companies might be in that boat. And they're going to have some very cynical employees. Um, we're going to wind up, it's going to be very difficult to get through 2021. Let me uh, sort of wed the um, Harvard Business Review article I read's point on employees not trusting your employees, Matt, to the point you raised about who gets promoted. Is it the person who works from home? Is it the person who returns to work? Is it really all about FaceTime? Should you worry about whether someone is carrying their weight? Um, if you have to take up the slack, what about others? I mean, you've you've worked in some organizations where, where you had a, a wide, diverse workforce. You had people who came into the office and you had people who worked remotely far before uh, any of the pandemic, uh, was it just you had a, a motivated group of employees and that issue really didn't come up or was it something else? Well, I mean, when I have been working at small or mid-sized organizations with these um, hybrid workforces, it sort of kind of depends on the structure of it. Now, when we have been working at magazines with some remote employees, they weren't employees per se. They were freelancers. Now, they were regular freelancers and treated them, and I felt like they were very much employees, but legally, they were not. And legally, they were never going to get promoted, freelancer to be or something. You hire them in eventually, but um, there's a distinction there. And I think what's interesting right now is that we have many full-time employees who are working remotely. And as somebody who is remotely free, I can tell you, it takes a long time to get used to that months and months to get used to it. Uh, it takes years to be able to really feel comfortable in it. I, but even then, today, I work as a contractor for clients. I'm not a full-time employee of anything. I never expect to, and no promote, per se, but it, how can make employees feel? Uh, I would, even if I were a compliance officer, and worry so much issues. I would more about employees still feel invested enough in me to speak up if they see conduct because they are literally out of and are, are they also out of mind and if you're out of sight to them you might be out of mind to them they might not particularly care you might understand that what they see now is misconduct you might not realize it actually is misconduct um they might feel if they're ice they're doing their thing in their own silo oh they're with the dreaded word raising its head yet again everybody is in their own silo of one in their office at home or in their spare bedroom, it can be much more difficult to collaboration, foster a sense of investment in the success of the company. Um, it's funny on this subject because just last year, some old research from Ethos uh, in 2019, they had published a report about when speak up about 
conduct. And uh, the number one reason, uh, first off, about 90% of employees said that they generally would to speak if they saw misconduct. Okay, that's great. And then 85% of them said they would want to speak up because that's the right thing for the company and I care about the company. Again, that, that's great. In 2019, before the pandemic, I wonder what those numbers we like today and how many people still feel that, that same connection when they are physically not present in the office, they're not with their co-workers. Um, the closest you get is a call with some clunky Wi-Fi. How does that color your perceptions of loyalty, eagerness to speak up about misconduct? I don't know. I'll be curious to see what some of the research shows on that kind of question six months from now, a year from now, when we've got a good post-pandemic data period we can look and we'll see. So let me pick up on two um, current events around employee trust that struck me as uh, particularly damaging. The first one was the aforementioned, now former uh, chairman of the UK KPMG firm who told employees to quit whining. Uh, I've seen the video of that. It, it really yeah. was stark, and, and he did say that. And uh, he went on to compound his problem by saying that there was no unconscious in, uh, bias, which tells you that, that alone tells you that there's unconscious and bias, uh, bias if you deny yep. that. But um, that seemed to me to, to just be one of the, the most uh, w- either worst or best examples of tone deafness and a way to employ, uh, destroy employee trust that I could think of until I saw a, a tweet you retweeted today about um, Benjamin Moore painting. And last November, they had uh, summarily dismissed their legal department and outsourced it. And now they have uh, require employees to have senior management approval to call an approved lawyer, um, have a lawyer assigned to the matter, and then ask the lawyer the question. And several unnamed employees were anonymously quoted in the article, uh, basically expressed distrust because now they they feel like they can't get legal advice. They don't have an in-house lawyer they can call. I've been that in-house lawyer and and people want them to pick up the phone and call you if they have any questions. That's one of the reasons you're there. And that really struck me as a huge trust issue because now you have employees who feel like they may be hanging out there and obviously Benjamin Moore is not going to uh, defend them or protect them. Uh, because they won't even bother uh, to spend the money to have a legal department to give them legal advice. But that that also struck me as a, a very uh, damaging of employee trust. Do you have any thoughts on that story? Yeah, the Benjamin Moore story, I just, I am so annoyed by that decision. Um, right down to a terminated their legal department on November 6th, which is National Love Your Lawyer Day. I didn't know that was a day, Tom. Did you know that was Love Your Lawyer it's a thing, Matt. It's an internal. We don't share that with civilians. I, I thought you had maybe had it on the calendar at home for your wife, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> no, so like, who thinks that is a good idea? Um, now, Benjamin Moore is owned by Berkshire Hathaway, which is notoriously cheap. Uh, so terribly surprised that a Berkshire company would think this might be a good idea. Um, and look, I'm as cheap as the next person, but the difference between being cheap and frugal and being penny and pound foolish. Um, 
you know, I often think what generates trust are clarity and predictability. Um, even if you don't necessarily like the other partner that you trust, why do you trust them? Because they are going to do based on what they they have done in the past, very clear. And you know, I often think that uh, I once read an Nelson man about the time end of apartheid and how he said one of his important partners whom he trusted implicitly was F.W. de Klerk, the last ruler of South Africa, who I am sure they did not like each other personally, but Mandela knew I can, because what he said and what he does are the same thing. I know what I'm going to get. Well, Benjamin Moore just chucked out the window. An employee might need to get some information and they don't have clarity on if they get legal help. They don't have any predictability on what is going to happen there. So they are not necessarily sure about what. It's uh, if clarity and predictability are cornerstones of trust, and you would say that confusion and arbitrariness are these of trust. And that's what you're going to get when you do something as harebrained as fire your whole legal team and then outsource it with I guess simply to sign a permission slip or something or place a phone call to be able to get permission to go and talk to a lawyer. Um, so that, that means that's just, that's terrible. And I look forward to the fact pattern of whatever mishap is going on, Benjamin Moore at some point, because it will, where they couldn't get legal advice and somebody decided it could and decided it wrong. And Tom, you want to wind up talking about this issue sometime in the future where this, when the company, on the rear, and I will remember this conversation we had first. Um, as to the KPMG chair, uh, I I don't pass if he was as much of a jerk as he seemed to be on that leaked video of his uh, where he was so dismissive of employees. But again, arbitrary. Um, seems like it was rather and, and abrupt and just rude. And I don't think many people most of the time are capricious and abrupt and rude. They don't see that they can relate to a leader like that. Never mind that what he said was, in my opinion, just categorically incorrect. Of conscious bias is a thing. Of course, pandemic is a event, and you can't really get over it any more than I, I don't ask somebody who has lost a loved one to just get over and go on, on with their life. That is a very long process to be able to have, have that happen. Um, I, the KPMG chairman in particular, I just wonder where his leadership philosophy came from, or was this a singular bad day? But like, as soon as he I think he invalidated his ability to any respect from the employees. And then when you don't want to have that, trust goes down. So to quote a famous sage on leadership, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Uh, that statement yeah. did not come out of nowhere. And people don't wake up one day and say, you know, I'm just going to tell my multi-thousand person workforce to quit their bleeping whining. Uh, that's a leader who led by a very blunt talk. A blunt talk can be appropriate, but if it's given in a way that destroys trust, it's certainly inappropriate. And I think the re readings, uh, the articles I've read on that leader is uh, he did that sort of talk all the time. So it really was no surprise but let me go back to Benjamin Moore because there's a level there that 
uh, really struck me as nefarious. And that's where employees had to go to senior management to get approval to talk to a lawyer. It's one thing to outsource your legal department and bring in outside counsel at a huge hourly rate uh, to answer questions, however inefficient that may be. But now you have employees who can't even get legal assistance without management approval. And what if the managers say, no, you can't go to outside counsel on that. You just do it. Well, uh, now employees put in an even worse position. And as one of the uh, anonymous sources said, even if you get approval, it's at least a day to get a lawyer assigned. Then it may be another day to get a phone call. Uh, On the third day, if I remember my question, the question may may now be moot. Uh, And that's the way business works. You have a quick question, someone calls and you answer the question or say, I'll get back to you at X time with, uh, with your answer after you talk to your colleagues. And so as a business process, it seems to be uh, really antithetical to business efficiency in addition to, I think, putting the company in a very dangerous position of one lawyer, excuse me, employees will not get legal advice, but then down the road, they won't even ask for it because the process is so cumbersome, much like having to ask your father for money for an allowance when you don't have one, something like that. Well, you know, one thought that I have is as soon as you are going to the manager to permission to talk to a lawyer, um, by definition, you are telling senior man, we have a legal risk that I don't understand. And okay, so now managers know about it. Now, how are they going to handle it? Um, What if this necessarily a a contractual question that you have? Uh, but it's a compliance risk. Now, saying that if I have an ethics and compliance concern, senior managers to be able to get some advice, because that doesn't sound to me the Justice Department would be pleased with that at all. Um, it also gets to the question, and I, I don't know about the six of Berkshire Hathaway and Benjamin Moore, but what, are, what is the structure of their compliance program? Is it something that is part of the legal department? Is it separate from legal. If it's separate from legal, do you need permission to still have a compliance officer? Did that person have to quickly see how some issues that are quasi-legal, but also quasi-ethics enforcement and whatnot, they really sticky really fast with alerting your managers that are aware of this issue. That might not be something that the employee wants to do, it might be just not good practice. If you have a significant compliance issue, you don't want management necessarily to be engaging and thinking, what should we do with this? You want an independent compliance officer to get it who can then say, we're going to get outside counsel right now. And you want that to happen. And this sounds like this isn't here. Um, so I would be, the more I play this out, the more I'd be quite intrigued to see what uh, would think about this sort of so, Matt, uh, really a lot to unpack, a lot of discussions, and a lot for the compliance uh, officer and chief compliance officer to think about going forward. I guess perhaps the only thing I'm certain about is we'll be revisiting this again. I hope so. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I each Monday at 3 p.m. Central, where we live stream Compliance Into the Weeds 
and you can pitch questions to us and be part of the engagement and commentary. If you have any questions for Matt, you can reach him at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. If you have questions for me, you can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will uh, join us again for an audio podcast or the live stream once again at 3 p.m. Central Time each Monday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.